0: Hello and welcome to episode number sixty-five of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Every week on this show, we aim to discuss all of the week's most interesting science and tech news. So let's get started. This week, uh, the show is brought to you instead of uh, being brought to you by Audible.com. I've decided that this show is going to sponsor itself. And so, if you're a listener, if you're a listener of the show, uh, maybe an infrequent listener, but you have not yet subscribed, um, the ad this week is please uh asking you to please subscribe because uh we'd love to have you coming back each and every week uh we like love taking time out of our week to look up and learn about the science and tech news that's going on and uh i don't know mike do you feel the same way i do that like i get a lot out of the show and i feel like other people would they listen on a regular basis would also get a lot out of the show
1: i i completely agree i yeah. i really enjoy reading science and tech news and being able to talk talk about it with you guys and share it with everyone else. For me, my hope is that it encourages others to do the same and, and you know, be interested the same way we are.
0: Yeah. So that's that's uh, what I'll do. If you head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat, uh, you can find buttons to subscribe to our RSS feed or subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Nick will not be with us today, uh, unfortunately, but he should be back uh, in time for next week's show. And uh, I almost think this week, this weekend conspired against us to be able to actually make a reasonable show. Um, We're getting right into the middle of July and August tends to be a a time when news sort of dries up a little bit. We're past things like WWDC, Google I.O. There's not a ton of news, um, but we did manage to find a number of stories that are pretty interesting. and. the timing of this week just it was crazy like it was my birthday this past weekend i had my bachelor party which you mike so generously helped plan and uh that didn't in any way change the show but it just this weekend there was a lot going on and there it seemed like there wasn't going to be a lot of news but i think uh i think you'll find we pulled it out uh so what i wanted to start with was something that we've talked about as we're sort of into this the the summer what i call beta season uh and this is where guys like me who tend to be a little bit riskier with their technology uh, when it comes to using it on a day-to-day basis uh will install betas from microsoft uh and betas from apple and uh there was a while there if you'll recall a few weeks ago where i was running three different kinds of beta software I'm now down to, on a regular basis, I'm now down to just one. I do have a build of Windows 10 running on my second hard drive, but I don't really, I only really use it to to see what Windows 10 is like and to prepare myself for the uh, the update on J- July 29th, I guess it is. Um, But I just, uh, I don't know if you've, Mike, if you've read these articles that say, you know, don't install a beta, beta software on your daily driver device. Do you... You've read those too?
1: Yeah. For me, I guess that's more of a common understanding versus an opinion. But maybe you can enlighten myself as well as our listeners as to what your thoughts are on that.
0: Well, I mean, it's fine. Really, honestly, I get it for the mass market because when developers, because it's almost always developers who say that or people who have developed in the past, and what they're referring to when they say don't do this don't install it on a device you use every day and need they don't want to have to deal with someone giving them a bad review on their for their app or saying oh the software is broken fix it when it's because you're using software that isn't officially supported and so i've never left a bad review for beta software and I know that when like I run the risk of something going wrong and my phone like having to restore back to stock software at any given moment. That's why I use programs like Google photos for my photos. uh, So that basically if my phone just literally exploded right now on the desk next to me, yes, I'd be out of phone, but I wouldn't have lost any of the data that, that I have. Like in the last two weeks, i've I've discussed or the last i guess several weeks i've discussed stories about how i had to get my phone replaced and I had to get the screen replaced so they were i had to wipe my phone a number of times and it didn't really impact me and i, ha- I also had the issue with uh with mac os 10.11 where it the audio drivers weren't quite working with uh, audition so i was trying to record a podcast and was just basically completely unable to even though i tried to test it and it it was seemed like it was working but then just absolutely flat out didn't work and so uh, my mac is now back on stock software but that again means i had to uninstall everything um one of the benefits actually of doing that is that your computers your mobile devices your laptops your computers tend to get crusted up with all kinds of stuff that i don't even know really where it comes from the caches get full and and backups get made and all this kind of stuff. So I was basically on my Mac. I was basically week to week having to do like flush out files that I didn't need, uh, or move them to my external hard drive because my, my 120 gig hard drive was just basically full all the time. And so I reinstalled, uh, Mac OS 10.10 and then it reinstalled all my programs, which I have quite a number of big programs. Uh, the Adobe software is huge, but I still ended up having like 80 gigabytes free. And I don't know where how that 80 gigabytes got filled. I, I It's a mystery to me, but it's nice having all that space back. So every once in a while, it's okay to do a sort of spring cleaning. And this this time is a convenient time of year for it.
1: Yeah. As far as speeding up your system, I'd like to see, maybe they've already done it, but some sort of blind testing on if it's a real effect or if it's more of a, confirmation bias type thing where you do your cleaning it's like, oh yeah, it's running so much faster like in even if it's maybe a momentary like initial speed up if it actually makes a difference kind of over like a week time frame type thing, yeah, and or just if people notice it at all, say you like people are given either ones that have been reset or haven't been, and if just people notice on a more subjective basis, not necessarily quantitative but more just oh yeah, this feels fast, but.
0: Right. Yeah. I definitely I think I noticed it more earlier, like around Windows XP, Windows Vista, when I could reinstall operating system and it would really, really feel faster. But now I don't really get that anymore.
1: Yeah. I Rob, you're you're old enough to Uh-oh. have grown up with being a kid and wanting to play your computer game, and your parents I think in your case your dad will say, Don't go on the computer, it's defragging.
0: Uh, I don't know if... Did, did you ever experience that? I did, many times.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> I did as well. And I think I'd still usually, you know, load up FreeCell or something and play FreeCell for a bit while I was defragging. And yeah. I guess that was kind of whatever. But I, from what I understand, since XP, you didn't have to defrag because it just either automatically did it or just the file structure didn't
0: require it. It was less useful, I think. For XP, I think... At least in the early when XP was first released, I think it was pretty important after okay. a while, like at a certain point in your disk, it wasn't necessary to do it every week. Um, it always did seem to go if you if you sort of maintained it, did a, a defrag every week, it it felt a lot faster than if you did once a year and it took six hours or something because it was <laughs> just completely messed up. Um, but I think the cumulative time that doing it every week would take is uh, that's a lot that's a lot of time.
1: Yeah. As far as betas go, the, the only ones I'm on are some app betas. And so I'm on, actually, I forgot to mention pre-show. I was mentioning which ones I'm on. I'm on the Chrome beta as well. Yeah. So the Chrome for Android beta, Facebook for Android beta, Meerkat, I think is still on beta. And I got on medium when it was still a beta. Uh, but that just recently got out of beta. It was only on beta for like two weeks or something like
0: that. Yeah. Though, yeah. Even know why they started fast. out with a
1: beta. Yeah. So. from my from what I can tell the app is still fairly limited but I guess it's stable enough to not be a beta anymore right Um, now Chrome I like that Chrome a the beta itself the tweaks aren't enough to be just super buggy all the time it's more just feature adding and a b testing I think
0: yeah it's little things
1: whereas the Facebook beta is like the buggiest thing you've ever seen and. So I've had the last couple of times I've been really bad where at one point, if I clicked, if I tapped into a notification, say someone commented on a post and I tapped on it and tried to leave a comment from that, that tap through my notification menu, it wouldn't, it right. would crashed every time I tried to post. So for the, <laughs> for about a week, I wasn't able to reply to any comments. And, and with Facebook, you can't, run both the beta and the non beta at the same time you're either right. on the beta or you're not yeah so i couldn't even like roll back i couldn't just use my other f- main stable one in the meantime while this one was buggy it's like for a good solid like week i couldn't use one pretty crucial feature so right that's the kind of guess the bad thing about betas and it's kind of that aspect of well don't use it on something that you rely on yeah. In the case of a Facebook app, who cares? Like, but if it's yeah. you know Windows, then if you need it to work properly for your business, then you want to <laughs> have a stable version. Yeah, so I can understand where that's coming from.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I've I've noticed that that I'm a lot less like old me when when I was first getting Windows 8 when I was on the Windows 8 previews. I just went completely 100 percent all in and installed. For instance, I installed. Uh, I like, I just completely wiped out my windows seven installation with windows, with the windows eight beta. And it didn't matter at all. Like, I I think I was even in school, but I was like, whatever, like I can install Microsoft office on any computer. I have the disc. I can install a web browser on any computer. Like that's not the kind of stuff that betas are dependent on. Whereas now I'm using a lot of more specific software that a takes a while to download because it's several gigabytes um but also it depends a lot more on intrinsic system things that do change and so you need updated drivers for those kinds of things and so i'm a lot more cautious now and and so for instance i'm i'm on windows 8.1 the most the the regular version on my main hard drive and then i have windows 10 on my back on my other uh, hard drive yeah just a slight difference of <laughs> tactics
1: yeah i'd like to be able to dual boot a phone yeah to have like a mod or like rooted version of an os and a stable version
0: that'd be kind of fun that would be cool the the nice thing is the with the booter the bootloader i guess you'd call it uh on windows you basically just go hit restart like you normally would but while holding down shift Mm-hmm. And it pops up with a contextual menu that says you want to switch into a different op- different operating system. You select that and then it'll give you the option of either 8.1 or 10. Yeah. And uh, yeah.
1: Is that through the BIOS then that, that does it or is it a separate?
0: I think it's thing? no, I think it's a bootloader on the actual, as part of the actual operating system. Oh, okay, that's cool. That the, <laughs> the only bad thing about it is that you can't uh, this is a problem just f- like for me this is not even a first world problem this is like a a tech <laughs> nerd problem is that while i'm when i'm doing team viewer that window is not accessible to team viewer like it it's right. gone through the shutdown process enough that there's no networking and so the only way i can go to that screen is if i am actually sitting physically at the computer so it's annoying i can't remotely switch between the two desktops at will <laughs> i can do i can go uh, because i've set windows 10 to the default as the default uh if i just restart normally it will boot up in windows 10 but i can't get back to windows 8.1 without mm-hmm. actually physically being at the computer that's right. that's one downside of of being a huge nerd and using remote viewer remote <laughs> desktop all the time <laughs> yeah yeah uh but that being said one of the other things that was kind of a letdown for me in the last week uh apple music was released in uh, ios 8.4 And the, I guess the latest Mac, which was Windows or OS 10.10.4. And I do not, I I do not have iOS 8.4 on my phone. I have iOS 9 beta. And so I was able to listen to Beats Radio, Beats 1, but I was not able to have access to the Apple Music. That's supposed to be coming tomorrow in a, a new beta. They do it every two weeks on Tuesdays. But uh, so I had to spend a week listening to just the the radio stations, which actually worked out pretty well because on Canada Day, I we ended up listening to my phone through, uh, it was called, I think, Canadian Classics was the station. So it was just looping through Canadian uh, songs and everyone really seemed to like it. And then on my birthday on Friday, my birthday party on Friday, I just listened to it. Like, we listened to just charting hits. And in both cases, I basically just hit play and left it for hours Hmm. and the nice thing about later betas like basically every beta after the first one on ios the first one is always terrible on battery like it's absolutely horrible but after that it gets pretty much back up to where it was and so i was able to use my phone not plugged in all canada day it was basically playing music via bluetooth uh the entire day and Hmm. the battery was just fine nice yeah
1: so just for context beats one is
0: radio and apple music is streaming so yeah beats one is radio there are a number of sort of stations as well where they'll play it's not live radio or anything you can skip It's like a songs. playlist though yeah. yeah but it it'll sort of skip around on the the subset of songs the playlist that they have and then i mean that's part of apple music but apple music as a whole this part that you subscribe to at the three-month trial right. is very similar if not identical to spotify where you have a list of all the songs so it's like 30 million tracks or something that itunes has and you can just play any of them in any sort of you can make any playlist you want you can actually apparently share playlists although i haven't actually tried Mm -hmm. that i've seen the the share button but i haven't tried it um and so i'm really looking forward to trying that on my phone when it comes out tomorrow i found myself listening to a lot More music than I have, and that's just some sentiment I've seen expressed across the internet. That people are like, it sounds it sounds so stupid. Like, basically, my last seven days of podcasts since this came out, podcasts I listen to on a regular basis, have been old people and millennials rediscovering radio in 2015. But I honestly think that, like, as I'm echoing the sentiments that they've they've said it honestly does feel different than just radio because radio is pretty local. And I know there are internet radio stations, but the idea of basically 300 million, uh, Apple devices all have the ability to just basically hit play on beats one. And they're listening to the same DJ. Whereas there, there's no other radio station that has that kind of immediate reach. And so I think it is a very interesting idea. And the fact that you can go back and, For instance, if you listen, if you have a one hour show that you always want to listen to, you can go back to they have Apple Music actually as a Tumblr of all things um, where you can find the playlists of songs that were played in that given hour or in that show. And so you don't have to miss any of the music that that DJ or that person would Mm. be playing. So I think it's a it's a cool play and giving it away for three months means that a lot of people are going to sign up. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Spotify, what they can do to keep up and what the other services will do to to compete with this.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing is that obviously this isn't new. Apple didn't invent radio and they didn't invent, you know, streaming music. But like you said, it's the reach and the I guess you could call it cool factor of it's Apple doing it. So it's yeah, it's just reaching that wider audience and that level of acceptance, I guess
0: yeah but it's it's interesting nevertheless and i'm going to keep i'm going to keep uh listening and as of tomorrow i'll be on the actual apple music service on my phone and so i'll be able to report back how that goes (laughs) i i'm assuming they've said that it's going to be like they said an upcoming update will will provide that functionality so everyone's been assuming it's going to be the next beta it could be a later beta but i i don't see them doing that so uh Ideally, it'll be tomorrow. Nice. All right. Uh, so enough beta talk. We have we got some good news after last week. Uh, our moment of silence for Falcon Nine. Um, we we read we were reading around, and the space station was never really in danger of running out of supplies. They their their planning team did very well, and uh, despite three different. Um, three different modules exploding on the way to deliver payloads to the international space station. They still had plenty of food. They had plenty of supplies. Uh, there was no issue of them running out of anything like that, but uh, a Russian vehicle, a Russian unmanned, uh, what would you call it? Like a drone, a space drone. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the best. Uh, that's the best uh, word. I, like, I guess you'd call it a rocket. Um, delivered stuff uh, water food that kind of thing to the international space station it successfully made it to orbit and everything was normal as it should be Um, (laughs) yeah for once i'm sure he had a lot to do with it uh one of the cool things there's a guy as i was reading about all this space stuff there's a guy uh who is spending a year in space straight uh scott kelly i believe is his name and just i i started thinking about that idea being asked to spend a year in space we we know that the human body does not do great in space um i don't know if you followed chris hadfield when he came back but he detailed in in a lot of detail all the physical impacts that space had on his body and his sort of conditioning basically to get back to Mm -hmm. uh earth gravity strength and uh i think he was only there for about 6 months maybe even less than 6 months and this is a whole year so they're they're basically doing endurance uh tests on this mm-hmm. astronaut so yeah it's really great that they were able to keep enough supplies up there that all the astronauts were fine but now they're they're really fine and and space is back to what it should be uh as this this rocket made it just fine like mm-hmm. like you would expect
1: yeah I think it's, it's interesting to see these new endeavors and living or just extended time in space, because I guess in the future you are going to be looking at recolonization. I think that's a very real goal is to have to establish some sort of colonization colony, I guess, either on the moon or Mars or somewhere that's not earth and to see how viable that is, I guess. And, obviously the first hurdle is to make humans able to last in space. So,
0: yeah. But, uh, so it'll be very interesting to see. And hopefully, um, I don't know if you paid any attention to the, the press stuff in the, the wake of the Falcon nine, uh, explosion, but SpaceX is going to be taking a few months off, uh, of launches in order to assess what went wrong because they still don't really know. There was, uh, we talked about in the after show last week about how, um they said it was an oxygen tank or something over pressurizing Yep. um but it's still not clear w- how that happened or why it happened and so they're going to take i think the summer off and, at least three months and figure out do a full investigation a full in- inquiry into what happened Rewatch frame by frame of the video to see if they can spot anything and uh but it, it's by all means it's of course not over uh nasa has has been very upfront in saying listen this is still our best option we're still putting all our weight behind spacex all our funding uh so this by all means, is means going to continue it's just a matter of learning from our, the mistakes that were made uh fi- well first of all figuring out if there were any mistakes that were made figuring out if this is actually a preventable thing which by all accounts it should be or if it was a freak accident but uh space is by no means over we have the international space station we're not giving up on it we're going to keep trying to send stuff up there and eventually we'll get new sp- new shuttles uh, in the next few years and we'll keep trucking away at space.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of people were, were trumpeting. The space is hard motto, but I think what you have to keep in mind is that, yeah, it's hard, but you also, that doesn't give an excuse to just fail all the time without looking into it. Right. Right. Like you still have to figure out what happened and, and you know, failure shouldn't be an option. Exactly. In The (laughs) words of Apollo 13. Um, but you know, you, you gotta, you gotta expect success and you got to prepare for success yeah. regardless of whether it's hard or not. So yeah, it's good to see them keeping at it.
0: Yeah. Speaking of space being hard, uh, our next story is also space related. Uh, th- we've, we talked, uh, in, I think the last week about the new horizons probe, which is currently as we speak, apparently about a week, eight days or so away from its flyby of pluto and we're getting better and better images every day of pluto uh until out of nowhere about 2 or 3 days ago i think it was uh july 5th i guess that was a saturday uh <laughs> apparently the probe went into safe mode so that's the mode where it stops trying to it stops communication and basically reboots itself to try to figure out like do diagnostic tests to figure out what happened that caused it to do that in the first place um so obviously if you're one of the new horizons team members uh watching this probe you're just like wait no what we're so close this thing has been traveling for years i think it's nine yeah. years and, and it's 10 like when you're away. watching
1: a hockey game and it's like in overtime yeah and they're on the power play and it goes to the point and then the feed is cut and it's like what yeah
0: no <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna miss it. Yeah. Um, so that was terrifying, and I I was watching that on uh, on Sunday, thinking, oh man, like is this gonna be like Philae the the one that's on the comet, and are we gonna basically not know if we're gonna hear from this thing when we when we want this data from it? But uh fortunately, the probe came back online. It wasn't. I think it was less than a day that it was that it was off. Uh, maybe only even a few hours. Uh, and that the the diagnostic test that it ran while it was in safe mode determined that there was no, no fault with software or hardware that occurred. It was just sort of a, a random computer glitch, which I guess is good because like, it's <laughs> basically a blue screen of death. And that happens yeah. to every type of w- computer system, um, whether it's a Mac with a kernel panic or whether it's... Uh, although, that being said, I have not, on Windows 8, or Windows 10 ever seen Blue Screen of Death. And not not just because they changed it. I think it's now just a big sad face sad face emoticon instead of like just text. Um but I haven't seen anything like that. So I, I think our our software is getting better, but obviously this uh this probe was launched like nine years ago, so it would have been using much more basic <laughs> software. Right. Uh but they were they were saying uh there was a timing flaw in a command sequence uh in preparation for this flyby and that made me think, was this a leap second issue? <laughs> like <laughs> uh but apparently it was not. It was just they were doing some sort of uh some sort of command sequence to do some maneuver, some turn or or unfurling some sort of thing. And uh they're not doing that for the remainder of the the mission. So if this is a specific problem with that, then it wouldn't it won't happen again anyways. But uh, yeah, a little terrifying. That being said, um, you wanted to talk a little bit about the leap second.
1: I did. It was, I'm more interested to talk about the science part of it.
0: Yeah, me too. Um,
1: The tech side, it's, people treat it kind of like a Y2K type thing, but it's not like that at all because this one people have actually known about for a long time and prepared for it and it should be written into code.
0: We chose it.
1: Yeah. yeah, like it's been integrated and it's a standard. There's no reason why anything should be thrown off by the leap second. Yeah. Um, but I I think it's interesting. I think was it a CGP Grey video that he did leap second on, or maybe it was a Minute I think Physics it was one? Tom
0: Scott. Do you watch Tom Scott?
1: No. I know I might, that I, I, I saw it.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll anyway, put a link they, to Tom
0: Scott's video in the in the notes. because okay. explaining how the leap second works computer wise. Yeah.
1: There's a bunch of them in there, um, but basically, like everyone's familiar with a leap year or yep. the, the day that accommodates the the making up of that day that's not included in the normal year cycle right um, but a leap second is along along similar lines, and I just thought it was interesting that technically even the leap second doesn't account for all the time that gets lost in your normal counting of time because. I think I can't remember what the number is, but something like every thousand years or however many years, another second can get made up or something like that. But, but the sec, the leap second keeps us current within like 1500 years or something before you lose like another full second or something like that. Yeah. Um, so the whole idea is like, well, why don't you just save up all the leap seconds and do like a leap half hour or something like that. But, the whole thing is like well a leap second is a lot easier to kind of program in and it doesn't throw people off as much
0: right so what they do is every year um they look at the difference between our the earth's orbit because that's the problem the thing that causes the yeah. issue is earth's orbit is not stable so the the year as defined by one rotation on the earth isn't always exactly one year like we count it with our atomic clocks yeah and so if there's ever a discrepancy of, I think it's more than 0.9 seconds in a year, then they either add, they, they fix the second to make it fit in that year. And so in general, the, it's, it's very stable, but they do have to do that. Like the way they've set it up, they do have to do that from time to time. And that's why we keep getting these leap seconds.
1: Yeah. But a leap second is a regularly scheduled thing the same way a leap year is.
0: I don't think a leap second is regularly scheduled.
1: Okay. The video I watched made it seem like it was, but I remember they also mentioned something about that. There's a potential to take away a second if they needed to, but they haven't had to.
0: Right. but There's yeah. a potential to um, insertion of leap seconds. Yeah. It's not, it's not regular. Uh, there was one in, they either do it on, june 30th or december 31st or both and uh so in 2005 the last four were 2005 2008 2012 and 2015 Oh, okay uh in the 80s there were like six or seven leap seconds okay
1: so it is an as required thing then yeah okay thanks for that real time update there.
0: I'm not I'm not sure what that video is, but it's very very unprofessional. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe I just didn't pay attention enough during. It. But it, it it basically it it gave the illustration of oh they did a leap year and then a leap second, which was close enough for their purposes, but they could have went further and made an additional adjustment to make it even more accurate. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing where you'd have to be around for like 2000 years before the sun was off by like 10 minutes or something yeah. at noon kind of thing so it's like no one's gonna care
0: yeah i don't know if you um if you saw i i think i tweeted or retweeted this oh i did yeah i can see it here um there were there was there was talk and i'll I'll, in the tom scott video that i'll link to tom scott is a really cool guy um if you he's one of those sort guys sort of like cgp gray except you can see his face um in that he explains things really well and he's really knowledgeable Um, if, but he's like CGP gray and that if you start watching his videos, you are not going to stop for a while. Like I went through when I first discovered him and all the videos he's done, I just binge watched like 80 of them all in one day. Um, but so there was this tweet from a, a group called din research and they were measuring, they measure, or they're, I guess they're able to measure, um, global routing instability. So traffic on the internet and how it gets around and for the five minutes or so after the leap second, there was just a bunch like instability spiked like seven times normal just because there's all these services trying to accommodate this second. Um, I don't know if you heard or if you have heard, but apparently what Google does to handle this, the leap second is they program in throughout the day rather than doing it all in one second throughout the day. They just sort of give like a hundredth of a second or, or five hundredths of a second like they tick it away slowly so yeah. that there's never a whole second where it switches all at once and apparently that makes it a lot easier to cope because the important thing isn't that time is exactly right the importance is that time is linear and so if you have a whole second that just gets added it can throw things out of alignment. Whereas if you're adding tiny fractions of a second every so often, everything stays linear, or at least it's able to stay a lot more linear than it would otherwise.
1: Hmm.
0: But uh, the different ways of handling it, the more I read about it, the more I I really think it's awesome. Yeah. But uh, we survived the leap second. I guess we should get (laughs) t-shirts.
1: I survived the 2015 leap second. Yeah.
0: (laughs) uh was there anything else you want to say on leap second
1: no just that it I, was interesting and a lot of people were i don't know i celebrated leap second
0: yeah did um, you a lot of
1: people were confused by it
0: yeah you were was it facebook or was it twitter that you posted you were obviously sitting there waiting for the yeah. leap second to screenshot it
1: <laughs> yeah i was on the bus yeah. and i went to i think it was like the org or something right and they had the live countdown and screenshot it as it happened. It's exciting. It's very yeah. conveniently it's six PM my time. So yeah. it's not like it was middle of the night for me. So Yeah. That it, was
0: It made me laugh that picturing you sitting there like, all right, leave second, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> you made the second last forever.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh so the the last sort of big piece of news that we had before we went into our sort of our new after show uh mini topic uh was just a a short one about Windows 10. Uh so we've talked in the past about Windows 10's coming. It's coming on July 29th. Um you're not going to be able to upgrade for free to a legitimate version of Windows 10, but if you don't have a legitimate version of Windows 10, you will be able to stay on the Windows Insider program, which means you'll get regular beta updates. Uh, But we heard this week that Windows 10 because it like they're doing it kind of differently than any other uh windows upgrade where basically windows 10 is now going to be there's not going to be a yearly big update to windows you're just going to get little updates throughout the year um and so rather than having like basically slamming windows uh or microsoft servers on july 29th as at one time the way that most they've historically done things in the way that uh, companies like apple do uh, app up, updates and android i believe does a similar thing although they, though they do a uh, similar thing to microsoft which is it's going to be a staged rollout but it's not even going to be staged based on device or based on uh anything like that basically they said that on july 29th probably the only people that are going to get prompted to update are going to be windows insiders and then people who have already reserved their upgrade will probably come soon after, if if not the same day, then probably a day or two later. Uh, so I don't know. You, you Do you have a Windows computer that you use at all that you're going to be upgrading to Windows just 10?
1: at work, but chances are it's not going to get upgraded anytime soon yeah. just because of Enterprise.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're still like, on Windows 7 on Enterprise.
1: <laughs> yeah, like with us, the only reason that any of our companies, like in basically directional drilling upgraded to windows seven was because the main software that we use stopped working with XP. Right. So because of the move to windows seven. So that's why everyone had to upgrade. Yeah. It was for the software.
0: There, uh, there was a story on, on a totally different tangent uh, relating to that. There was a story a couple weeks ago about how the, I believe it was the Navy, possibly Mm -hmm. the army in the States is paying Microsoft Mm -hmm. millions of dollars to keep supporting their installations of windows XP because they were not ready to upgrade. And now they just aren't supported. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so terrible.
1: <laughs> so now there's like one guy working at Microsoft who still supports XP
0: for the entire just, army the entire Navy. slash yeah. Navy, whichever it was. Yeah. yeah. A little That's scary. <laughs> but, uh, so that being said, if I know a couple people who are waiting for windows 10 to try to get uh get on board and not be pirating windows software anymore and uh it seems like the only way to do that at least right now the way they're talking is to be on the insider program but that means you have to stay on the insider program so that's not ideal if you just kind of want a computer but i guess if you're used to having the (laughs) the little thing in the bottom on your taskbar that says you this is not a genuine version of windows you should <laughs> pay for the upgrade um you're going to be fine with every once in a while installing an update and getting beta software like that's the kind of thing you get for not paying for it um which it's just something you have to deal with you have to deal with either getting the illegitimate thing or dealing with the update thing i would still think i i would prefer if i wasn't going to pay for it i would still prefer to have the upgraded uh, operating system
1: are they still sticking with their like home edition, professional edition, enterprise, like all the different levels?
0: It's a little bit simpler than that, but it's definitely, there's still going to be an enterprise version. There's still going to be several different tiers. I think they're working, um, because it's free, because the upgrade's free, you're basically sticking with the kind of version that you have. Um, I'm assuming the enterprise upgrade will not be free, but it's something that the given enterprises will have to negotiate to upgrade just because they come with a, a sort of higher standard of uh security and a higher standard of um support so we'll, we'll have to see how that works but i assume the enterprise windows 10 upgrade is not going to come immediately and it's something that you'll see later in the year or even possibly next year i don't i don't really know how the enterprise cycles work i think they they kind of announced, hey, this is this is up, but whether, whether or not an, uh, a new business can just go and get Windows 10 Enterprise on the first day is going to be something that we'll have to see. Hmm. But I'm hoping that considering that one of my hard drives is on the Insider program, the other hard drive, my the current one I'm on right now, is signed up for the like I've reserved my copy of the upgrade. I'm hoping that around July 29th, I'll be able to get it and upgrade and then and then kind of cross my fingers that uh that everything works (laughs) i would assume that for instance uh, adobe just updated all their programs for 2015 so i would assume that they've worked a little bit at least with microsoft to make sure that things work okay yeah um but also that is going to be the week between my wedding and honeymoon and so i think i might even be going away like that long weekend like the long weekend immediately after this update. So it's possible that I won't actually upgrade to Windows 10 until I get back later in August.
1: <laughs> That's what remote remoting login is for. It's just update that true.
0: Way. But I feel like in Hawaii on a honeymoon, <laughs> like I'm just sitting there on my phone, logging into TeamViewer to, log in, <laughs> to update my computer. Uh, I have a feeling that will not go over well.
1: Just send Julia to the spa and then you'll have an hour and a half to i guess so there
0: you go (laughs) (laughs) that is an idea i'm not sure it's the best idea but uh but i will definitely keep it in mind yeah all right mike uh that's it for our regular show uh i'm gonna say uh i guess i'll just say bye for now if you just want to stick this is actually probably the shortest we've ever kept the main show uh at least in a couple months um so thank you for listening to this week's future chat um i'd like to thank once again uh unwind future chat for supporting the show please do go and subscribe uh it helps us out if you subscribe via itunes if you'd like to rate uh or review the show uh it would really help us out with rankings and getting new listeners uh if you tell your friends about the show it's another great way to help us out and uh keep this going and i'll let you know that we'll be back right here next week uh on sunday our usual sunday with more science and tech talk find past episodes of the show and plenty more as i mentioned at unwindmedia.com slash future chat see you next time see you okay on to the little guys <laughs> so uh this story about batteries is this directly related to the one we did a few weeks ago is it just more details on it or is this a different project
1: uh I forget what we talked about a couple weeks ago.
0: We talked about uh, Alberta using. Was it
1: no? That was that was a new a new power plant. It a was new gas power, plant.
0: natural gas, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was okay. Gas so this to is this coal. is not the same thing. No. Okay. So
1: this is this is energy storage, not energy generation. Okay. And uh, so Transalta is a private company, seeing as Alberta Energy is deregulated. Yeah. For better or for worse,
0: um, <laughs> you don't seem to have an opinion. <laughs>
1: I, I wasn't around, like, I was around, but I wasn't old enough to have an opinion on the deregulation. It's just as far as I've known, it's always been deregulated. But my parents and our parents' generation have strong feelings about deregulation, so right from what I've read, it caused higher power bills. But anyway, <laughs> uh, this company that is doing uh power generation and uh transmission and that kind of thing, they're Jumping on the Tesla battery bandwagon and trialing some uh, energy storage at some commercial sites, uh, such as, you know, a hospital or a a grocery store, um, a university, that kind of thing. Uh, So these are those Powerwall batteries that we talked about uh, extensively the past couple months. So the headline of the article mentions a, a large scale energy storage project. Okay. To, to me, one battery or even a couple batteries in one building isn't large scale. To, to me, large scale no. is like grid storage. Like we're yeah. supporting a grid with batteries, energy storage. So I think maybe people are just getting excited because it's a Tesla battery and it's new. But having, you know, like a backup battery for a building isn't really new. Right. From my understanding. But either way, they're they're getting into the headlines because there's Tesla and they're buying power walls. I guess. So I guess it's good to see them leading the way and hopefully encouraging others to, to look at, you know, energy storage as a, you know, something that might be worthwhile, uh, you know, as a backup or in this case is to I think in this case is to help capitalize on the lower energy rates that you get during off peak hours versus on peak. Right. To kind of take the load off. So, in that sense. And that's why it's a commercial application because those are the ones that are on the, the rated the variable on peak, off peak rates. Right. Um, from my understanding houses, at least on Nmax max, most residences are, they, they don't have that option of the on peak, off peak. Okay. Um, so yeah, so this is, this is good to see companies kind of doing this and, uh, Oh, I'm still waiting to wait for for solar to get cheaper and more practical. Yeah. I have a nice south-facing roof that could use some solar panels.
0: (laughs) I forget where I was reading. I think it was Vox.com. They were talking about uh, that there's actually quite a bit more solar power in the U.S. than most people tend to think. Um, Luckily, I am fast at Googling and know my keywords. A new study uh there were 9.2 gigawatts of customer side solar capacity is left out of official statistics and that's about 45 percent of the actual total power generated from solar so Mm -hmm. it's about 50 saying 45 to 50 percent higher uh solar production than estimated in the u.s
1: Mm -hmm.
0: which is yeah um Apparently, three the new numbers, the new study says that three states, California, Arizona, and Hawaii, get more than 5% of their total electricity from solar. Hmm. So that is more than I thought, like a lot more than I thought it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the states, it helps that they have their, their sun belt that gets quite a bit of sun yeah. throughout the year yeah. and very little cloud.
0: <laughs> we um, do not.
1: Canada is not as fortunate no. with that. Apparently, Calgary is actually the sunniest. I want to say the sunniest city in Canada as far as like total hours of sunlight throughout the year. Huh. I, I know I read that
0: somewhere. That doesn't sound right, but I'd like to think that it is. Like, it's it's not a dark yeah. place.
1: Well, see, because we we have the extended hours in the summer, right? Right. Whereas you guys, you get dark like super early.
0: No, 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 no. We get dark at like nine. I mean, it's yeah, not, we get
1: dark at like 1030. But it's not,
0: it's not early. It's just not as well, late.
1: Right. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So yeah. Anyway, Tesla batteries, good for, for energy storage and trying to take advantage of the, the difference in rates, but I'm, I'm holding out for the, the grid energy storage as well as the solar, solar supporting right. energy storage. So
0: what do you think? Anyway, what do you think the, the odds are things? of your company? Uh, adopting this Tesla battery storage.
1: Well, it's it's more that if they offer it to their customers, I I don't even know if this is Transalta putting it on their own accord if they're saying, "Hey, you guys can can use it." But, um, like like for me, th- there'd be no benefit to using the Tesla battery except for just a backup energy source because we're not on the floating rate type thing. Okay. Whereas, like the off-peak on-peak, um like I know you guys have it and like I I'd have to look into it some more but as far as I know that there that really isn't an option for us at this point.
0: Okay. But. Fair enough. Yeah, we are definitely fully on it. Although it's yeah. everyone says like oh this is it's terrible and it's so much more expensive. I'm only going to do laundry after 5 or after 7 p.m. but it's not that big of a price difference. It's really not
1: not enough to go out of your way to. No, like do don't.
0: Laundry. It's not enough to change your schedule. Like okay. if you're sitting there waiting to do laundry, you should just do laundry. It's like <laughs> it's five to 10 cents. Yeah. Your time is worth so much more than that. It's like the people that drive yeah. at like 20 kilometers to a gas station to fill up for five cents yeah. less. It's just and doesn't sit make sense. idling
1: for half an hour yeah. waiting in line.
0: Exactly. I've,
1: I've done the math before. And I'm like, I can save four cents. I'm only going to fill up 30 liters. So I'm saving a buck 20 by going like spending an hour out of my day to do it my time is worth more than a buck 20 an hour
0: yeah exactly
1: (laughs) 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 pretty much plus the gas you actually spend going out of your way but
0: yeah um there's as usual i'm gonna put a link to a relevant xkcd it's number 951 for the people listening at home um where randall does the math of gas stations um if you spend the the tagline is if you spend nine minutes of your time uh to save a dollar, you're working for less than minimum wage. <laughs> and that's often what these kinds of people end up doing. Yeah. Um yeah. But uh it it it's very interesting. I like the thought of of companies and 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 homes having the opportunity to get onto what I'm going to call the smart grid, I'm going to call any sort of large-scale battery installation part of the smart grid because it's going to require sort of intelligence in in how it distributes electricity and how it uses it. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking forward to the future where that's just the normal thing. Yeah. Uh, so this next story I have here is just something I came across on Popular Science, and it was something that I, as sort of a as a North American person we don't really have to deal with HIV or AIDS on a regular basis. It doesn't really come up in the news, Uh, but obviously there are a lot of people suffering from those diseases, uh, those viruses in the sort of developing world. And so this, this story came across my RSS feeds that Cuban babies are now HIV free. And I've heard people like sort of individuals on a sort of trial basis, getting Going through tests, test drug uh, regimens to try to cure HIV using things like antiretrovirals or different um, antivirals. But I did not know that one treatment for, at least for mothers that have HIV, is if they take antiretroviral drugs uh, while they're pregnant, they're actually able to give birth to non HIV infected children. Whereas Otherwise, they they would just pass it on, and then and then the child would have it, and has a very uh, bad chance of surviving past uh, childhood. But so in Cuba, this is this this is what they do with every mother: uh, is they give them this antivetroviral treatment, and they're the only country that is currently doing this. But uh, and so as of 2013, um, this initiative made it so that only two babies in Cuba were born with hiv which is that sounds like it's still not a lot but compared to every other country uh including places like the states it is like infinitesimal uh so much so that the world health organization actually declared cuba uh sorry that mother to child transmission of of hiv in cuba has been effectively eliminated like this is this is the kind of thing that if you can keep that up you can rid your country's citizens of the disease within a generation. If no children have it, yeah. then well, it's as good as a cure. Exactly. Like, it effectively yeah. does just get rid of the disease. It's yeah. almost as effective as a vaccine in that you're not like the, the generation of kids are, that are born don't have this disease. They're not forced to deal with it. Uh, similar to sm- like how smallpox and polio were eradicated in, in North America. And well, smallpox the world. But I so I just thought this was a really awesome uh really awesome story. The the stat they have here is and this is again something that is total it's totally unfamiliar to me, but every year one point one point four million HIV positive women become pregnant and they have anywhere from a fifteen to forty five percent chance of passing on the disease to their child. And so I have to assume that obviously not there's not going to be a million women in Cuba that have HIV that have kids but to to get a number as low as 2 in any sort of medical affliction it's not insubstantial like that that means that this works and that every other country should be doing this already uh and if you've if you've seen the movie Sicko by Michael Moore the documentary you'll know that Cuba has a really good universal healthcare system so this it's not really surprising that they're uh, a country that takes an initiative like this to try to eradicate HIV mm-hmm. in in their children
1: Yeah. When I first read the, the story, the first thing that came to mind are the people that are very anti things. (coughs) Um, what does that mean? (laughs) You know, like, oh, I don't want, you know, toxins in my body. Oh, I want, you know, uh, you know, like a natural pregnancy without painkillers, without this, without that. Like, Even though a lot of those things are beneficial and do a lot of good, they're very it's more of a principle thing versus yeah, it makes sense to do that. So that's I can imagine that's why it hasn't and won't catch on in, you know, at least North America, just because that'd be very against what pregnancy and childbirth is become. Yeah. You know, like it's it's very it's become a very marketed individual thing. It's like, well, you have your own birth plan. You do it the way you want. You take painkillers. You don't take painkillers. You, you know, like it's very like, it is made a thing. Right. So it's not like, okay, let's get this child out. If you're healthy, it's like, well, you can have it your way kind of thing. And this kind of goes against that.
0: Right. I mean, yeah.
1: If it became like a mandatory thing, if it became an option, great, but you're not going to see widespread adoption.
0: Right. I mean, this is in the coming in this news, this study is coming in the same week as the news that um, a California passed this law that makes it illegal to morally uh, refuse to get your children vaccinated. Um, the same week that Jim Carrey came out as an anti-vaxxer again, just sort of reiterating that he still feels that. Um, this kind of stuff is being forced on people and then it's unhealthy when study after study shows that we're actually preventing diseases by doing this. Um, and then I heard this week that in something like 13 years, we had our first, for the first time in 13 years, we had, uh, the states out of death from measles. And it's like, we've, we've cured this. There's a vaccine for it. We can Child, if only there was a vaccine, (laughs) this child died completely unnecessarily, and that's terrible and that's really sad. Yeah, but at the same time, you can't help but think, What are these parents thinking? That I get that they're trying to do what's best for their children, but at a certain point, what's best for your children has to be what a doctor tells you is best for your children. Like, Mm -hmm. you have to trust the healthcare system is not making money off of vaccines. So, the argument that it's like big pharma is trying to sell you these vaccines it it just doesn't make any sense
1: yeah i've said it before that i don't blame these parents for being scared of vaccines and believing what they believe because the stuff out there telling them this is very convincing if that's all you're exposed to yeah and you don't do your own research and kind of see a bit more of a balanced and knowledge take on it so I I wouldn't go so far as to blame the parents, but it's more just blaming media.
0: The media, yeah. For
1: allowing that kind of thing to propagate.
0: Media and the sense of community in that I, I'm going to call out Fox News specifically, not necessarily for this exact issue, but in general, just sort of fear mongering, um, going with things that are anti-scientific. Just to be sort of, oh, we're anti-establishment and we're the little guy and the the liberal media is out to get you when really they're literally just spreading misinformation about that kind of thing and actually hurting people by doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this news out of Cuba is great and hopefully it's the kind of thing that the world the rest of the world the developed world and developing world will be able to use to their advantage to hopefully if not completely eradicate hiv at least get it so that within a, i i don't want to jump to think that we can just get rid of it because there's it, like it's a huge problem it might take a few generations if of sustained uh effort by the entire world to actually get rid of it because it's a sexually transmitted disease and humans have this thing where we really 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 like sex um it's a hard thing to do something like smallpox is a lot like it's very visible disease so if you have smallpox there's like you're not going to go near that person whereas if, if someone has hiv there's shame associated with it there's an inability or uh desire to not come forward uh so being able to do this through drugs and through a couple of generations of babies not inheriting their their parents condition uh hopefully we can we can really take a hit out of hiv okay uh up next a very much lighter story about google glass <laughs> what did we find out about google yes. glass this week
1: the google glass we haven't heard about yeah. in quite a while
0: in a long while
1: the last the last one we heard was that it was dead uh, that they were taking the Explorer Edition away and kind of rethinking it. Uh, then we heard that it was still alive and people were still developing it. And now there's there's rumor, and I think this is still a rumor. Yeah. Um, that they're developing Google Glass as a enterprise edition. Um, now in our discussion of applications of Google Glass, I think we did talk about. The applications in the workplace, such as you know, on construction sites or just places where you'd need to be a bit more hands free and kind of be more uh, non gimmicky, I guess, in its application. So, as opposed to just kind of looking at a text message, you're actually interacting with like a video screen in the corner of your eye or trying to follow instructions or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, I think. Their their idea is that the workplace is where the future is for Google Glass, um, versus a virtual reality or augmented reality type system where it'd be more for entertainment or um just more commonplace. Yeah. Uh so yeah, it looks like there's there's hints of of there being an enterprise edition and uh that you'll start seeing some testing happening again, I guess. Uh, but you're not gonna see it as hyped and marketed the same way that your your original Google glass was
0: right i
1: don't imagine um
0: i imagine i know it will still appeal to some consumers but it's not going to oh, be for sure. targeted yeah. specifically to them
1: yeah yeah so this is yeah google glass enterprise edition is kind of what they're what they're anticipating yeah. it being called um so and yeah they're, they're saying that it's not it's not really like a completely revamped version but it's just different hardware with kind of different integrations such as uh wi-fi and bluetooth like faster wi-fi and bluetooth type uh integrations that might kind of go with whatever devices you might be working using in the workplace that can kind of go along with it so i don't do you see a future for google glass either in your own or a consumer's life or in the workplace
0: I have always really liked it as a product. I, n- I haven't tried it, I haven't worn it, but I've always loved the idea of that kind of wearable thing where you have an overlay. And I, I am more excited about the idea of um, HoloLens just because mm-hmm. it's sort of a more immersive experience. But I I love the idea of having digital information overlaid on your vision. And so I can definitely I don't know if I see myself using it in my current job, but I can certainly see a lot of jobs that would benefit from having that kind of information overlaid on your actual vision. Like, I, I guess it's kind of augmented reality, but not in the normal way that I think about it, where it's sort of like Google, Google Glass itself isn't going to place things with depth of field. They're just going to be overlaid on a on a screen. But it is obviously very interesting to have that kind of thing possible. And for me to say that I'm excited to have it, I would have to try it first. Like it's the kind of sort of paradigm shifting thing that you wouldn't just go and buy for the heck of it. You'd want to try and know that it's actually something that's going to work for you before spending. I mean, the fact that it's an enterprise edition kind of makes me think that maybe that's just because they weren't able to get it down to two or three hundred dollars and so in the enterprise you can actually make a product like this that's successful at fifteen hundred dollars a pop like the explorer edition was so maybe that's just all it is they can't miniaturize this for any less than fifteen hundred dollars or a thousand dollars maybe but it's something that people aren't going to buy uh just for themselves they're going to buy them as part of a business or part of like a hospital if it's a doctor using it
1: yeah, I think with the advent of like HoloLens and your Oculus virtuality systems and HoloLens being your augmented, that's kind of where the market's going, I think, as far as wearable immersive technology. Whereas Google Glass, I always saw it as an application to have easy access to a camera right. type thing with it just being on there. And you can kind of just quickly say, you know, I don't know. How you trigger a picture being taken, but there's times where I wish that I could just look at something and a picture would be taken versus having to pull up my phone go to the camera app and right get it going and wait for the shutter kind of thing right that that's kind of for me the only application where a Google glass type device would be useful or like a live streaming where you want a first person view of something yeah kind of thing um but you know GoPro now has their their own camera system, and I think they're streaming now for GoPros that you can You can integrate with a device like a, I
0: don't know, smartphone. Because we, for instance, like a smartphone.
1: Yeah, like yeah. So so you transmit the video that you're seeing through the GoPro to a, a feed, and you can watch that. So that's the kind of way that the live streaming thing is going. So in this case, I think as far as the glass application goes with work, you know, they show that picture of you know the construction worker wearing the Google Glass, and it's because it's convenient, he might have gloves on, he might be working on some sort of machinery, and you can, it just pops up on there, you integrate with it, or interact with it, and it goes away kind of thing, right. all very seamlessly. So, that that's kind of a more natural application for it than just your everyday consumer, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah for sure it's it'll be interesting to see where this goes and, and what their strategy is to market it and if if you are correct and and I didn't think about that before, but that's a good point too is that the price point might just stay at that you know thousand dollar mark, but it makes sense for a company to invest in it if if it works for what they're looking for
0: right yeah um I just <laughs> I just saw a link in Twitter to uh NASA just added some new images to uh of Pluto. This is a, as a point of real time follow up. I'm going to put a link to the it's nasa.gov slash feature slash latest dash images dash of dash Pluto dash from dash new dash horizons like latest right. images of Pluto from new horizons. Um, They're getting super close and they've they've colorized the picture to what we know it is colored, but uh, it's getting pretty clear. And they're apparently as of July 3rd because the the images are delayed right now um it's like less than 8 million miles away hmm. so it's getting it's getting real close
1: <laughs> compared to how far away Pluto is yeah
0: <laughs> so uh we'll do one last one here what do you say this one this is something that i saw pop up and it, i'm i was skeptical of it and i just want to talk about it briefly because it's so weird that the source of this uh Story is time.com. Mm-hmm. Like this is Time magazine. So two Great. scientists um, who have been studying the data from the Philae lander on the comet uh came out and said made this huge proclamation that there could be life on Philae on the comet. There could be they found organic matter. Um they found a number of things that supposedly compelled them uh to think that there could be microbes like living things on this actual comet and right away i look at that and so they say uh, organic rich black crust Um, they're saying that there could be extremophiles which are microbes that are able to survive under extreme conditions uh, under the surface so trapped in the ice immediately i think about this like we send a probe to land on one comet and that comet finds life like that's just not (laughs) that's not gonna happen if we we found life on the first comet we ever land on that's not (laughs) it's not uh that means that life is everywhere in the universe like anywhere we go there's gonna be life if we find it on this one dead icy rock (laughs) um and so almost immediately I saw this I put it in the notes for the show cuz I was like this is weird we can we normally come to this this kind of story with like the person who found it is like hey this is really interesting and the other two hosts are like no this is not a thing <laughs> um, but fortunately some other scientists uh Phil Plate included immediately were like this is not this is not good science um, <laughs> apparently the two scientists that had made these suggestions have done this before like they'll they'll put out these r- random crazy claims that there's really no there's no reason to believe that it's a thing like if it ends if there ends up being microbes, it's not going to be for the reasons that they described
1: right they're just speculating yeah very like completely truly. speculating
0: yeah yeah, and they so the other scientists that are basically saying no to this research uh or the not to the research to the speculation are basically like there, there are so many other ways to create this kind of matter without needing microbes. and yeah. uh, that, So is
1: this like an Occam's razor yeah, type situation?
0: This kind, of, this kind of thing, like a comet, is not where you're going to find life. It's something that's been traipsing around the solar system and the galaxy for probably millions of years without interacting with anything. It's really unlikely, even frozen in ice, that you're going to find it uh, life. Just the way they're formed, the way they travel around—it's not these things do flybys around the sun in general. Like if it's an active comet like P sixty-seven, it's been around the sun before. It has been exposed to the very hot temperatures of the sun. A lot of the outer layers melted off. Like it's—it's just not
1: life. Radiation. Well, yeah, radiation too.
0: (laughs) There are there are a number—not just heat, but (laughs) yeah, everything. Yeah. So uh, yeah, probably almost certainly not life on the comet but interesting story for a couple hours to think about yeah not real science
1: <laughs> yeah and i'd i'd like to lay blame on time magazine for lack of due diligence possibly cuz ideally magazines have some sort of fact checking but you also want to get the headline out so- <laughs> and you, when you say scientists suggest then yeah. that kind of kind of oh they said it these two guys who called themselves scientists they they said this thing so
0: yeah so here's the thing um if you go to time.com right now and don't do this because they don't need the clicks uh, (laughs) and you go under latest the first the top story the philae comet could be home to microbial alien life scientists say uh if you go down to the fifth story it's almost the same photo scientists shoot down claim that alien life may be on comet why is that low? Like it's much lower. The the stories yeah. came out a couple hours apart. They can remove that story or like fold that story into the other one. But having the yeah. two on at the same, like one, one is basically saying yeah. maybe life. The other one is saying that story was stupid. <laughs> but the one that says maybe life is higher up.
1: Yeah. I've seen that criticized before. I can't remember what it was about, but it was another guy who wrote some sort of story on, kind of thing or just some sort of claim and then everyone disproved it or it or later details later showed it to be false or something right so then just down at the bottom in like small text is like oh update <laughs> this is all wrong or something like that but all the original story is still there and you don't see the update till the very end right the title's still the same everything's changed except for the very bottom where it says oh disclaimer update uh this has been shown to be untrue or something like that right and it's like or, or it'll be like one key fact and key claim made in the original was shown to be false, but nothing's changed in the original. It's just at the bottom says, "Oh no, uh, so and so actually didn't do this kind of right. thing," and it's like, but it's still there saying he did. So it's like, yeah, yeah, that's just poor journalistic integrity.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's the same thing that happened with Andrew Wakefield with the vaccines cause autism thing. He published the results, and every that got disseminated widely. Everyone freaked out about it, and then it was retracted. He was completely discredited, lost his job, lost all credibility. But his research is still the papers that they shake when they say vaccines cause autism. And like, you you may as well put a giant discredited stamp on the front of that paper, but it's still the go-to source for all of these people making these claims.
1: Yeah. Well, that's you know we've we've talked about before. That's a fairly widespread problem in science that you can you can discredit or you can redact papers but once they're in circulation then it's hard to get them out
0: yeah okay well uh i guess that's it for this week uh it was a little bit shorter hopefully that uh i mean that's fine with me i think an hour and a half starts to stretch on a little long for listeners hopefully they'll appreciate the hour and 15 minute or so length But uh, Mike, it's a pleasure talking to you as always.
1: Always a pleasure for me as well.
0: And uh, if you are listening right now, but are not subscribed to our show, do head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat and find links to subscribe there. Thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.